Welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Drew Evans. And I'm Ben Garmo. Today on the podcast, we are going to shortly be joined by Abby Heller of Drexel. Uh, We're really looking forward to talking to her, but we figured uh, since this is our part two after we've already spoken to both Regina Campbell and Sonali, we decided that Ben and I were going to take some time to talk about our thoughts about Trial by Combat this year. Uh, Obviously, Ben, uh, you are going to be a little more involved uh, as the coach of Sydney Gaskins this year. So, Ben, can you just start off, just tell us a little bit, what have you and Sydney been doing to prepare? Yeah, it it is a very unique preparation process, as I think those of you who have listened to the episode we did with uh, Regina and Peter and Sonali, you know, they kind of attested to this, and I agree, that it is a completely different preparation process from really anything that we've done before. So I'll say two things about it. First thing is, uh, I'm a tech person. I like tech challenges. I used to work in pro audio, like, you know, many years ago. Uh, and I enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out how this can work, right? I'm looking forward to and have been working with the challenge of, okay, what's going to be our setup? Where are we going to compete? What are we going to use? Uh, and so I've been working on trying to figure out how that's going to work and have studied all of the various um, Top Gun competitors uh, and their setups to try to get a sense of things. Uh, But with that, and we did a scrimmage this past weekend with another competitor, and we really learned that while some things are the same, right? Some things you're still, you know, sort of putting uh, emphasis on a lot of the same uh, concepts and uh, things that will sort of make you rise above the pack. You have to sort of be prepared for the mental aspect of you know, competing virtually. Uh, We did a a set of scrimmages on this past Saturday and it was exhausting. And now obviously real TBC is exhausting, but it's exhausting sort of in a different way. And you don't have that social component to sort of recharge you. You know, there's something really cool about getting to all be in the same place, especially at TBC where you've got this incredible field of competitors and, you know, highly decorated coaches and just so much, uh, talent and sort of like amped brain trust in one room. Uh, so not having that aspect, I think, is is going to be really interesting. But we're focusing on uh, trying to keep it simple, right? Trying to not overdo things, trying to not uh, make things more complicated than they need to be, focus on Sydney's strengths. Her second chair is Ethan Hudson, uh, who uh, was our other uh, sort of really, really strong competitor this year. They actually competed together in high school uh, in mock trials. So they've got like a really, really great rapport between the two of them. Uh, but I think we're just trying to figure out how we're going to work as a team, how we're going to adjust preparation for having that second chair role. Uh, and I'm excited to, you know, do it for real. Uh, Drew, you've obviously taken a look at the field and sort of dug through and, and looked at the competition. So can you give us a sense of your thoughts of, of what this year's field looks like? Absolutely. And before I even get to that, I actually, you brought up something, Ben, that I, I wanted to mention. And it's this at the, the social aspect of what this online mock trial competition has, has done to the activity um, and or maybe will do. And uh, I assume a lot of people know that a lot of the fall invitationals seem to be moving towards this online format. And I just, you said it and it made me think of this, Ben, but I'm, I am personally worried that as we have all these online trials, we lose something in that 
I'm very used to after a round is done, you go up, you shake hands, you congratulate the other team on a great round. You know, maybe you exchange film so you've got each other's emails, you're talking to people, you're getting to know people from around the country. And at least for me, that was always a huge part of what I loved so much about Mock Trial and about the AMTA community. And I, I Ben, I think that you 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 know, you mentioned it, but it's 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 going to be hard. It's going to be hard to to lose that um, in these online formats, particularly when you're talking about a field like trial by combat. But uh, Ben, you asked about the what I think of the field, and I'll start with this. This is a field that is predominantly seniors, um, as Abby is going to mention later. You know, that was a intentional thing that that the uh, the selection process that they were trying to do. Um, and this is 16 very strong competitors. There's no way around it. They're very, they're all very strong in their own. Like that being said, I think that it's fair to say that when you compare this year by the numbers to say last year, it's very different. And when I say by the numbers, I'm talking about just purely the number of awards that we have. So the statistics that I'll throw at you are this last year at the 2019 uh, trial by combat, there were 14 of the 16 competitors who had received an All-American going into it. Um, Two of those competitors had four All-Americans. Another two had three All-Americans. This year, we only have three uh, people who have received an All-American as an attorney. We also have two that have gotten them as a witness. Uh, Those competitors are uh, Sidney Gaskins, Regina Campbell, and Brie Goodchild for the Attorney Awards, and then Michelle Ramazada and Harsha Sreeder uh, for the Witness All-Americans. But with just those five, that leaves 11 people without an All-American. Now, of course, it needs to be said that part of the reason why so many of these people don't have All-Americans is because we didn't have Nationals and there was no opportunity for them to receive an All-American at this year's Nationals. I think I'm pretty confident in saying that a number of these people would have likely gotten All-Americans had we had Nationals and had their teams been competing. Um, So keep that in mind as a caveat on these numbers, but I mean, that is still a very big difference. And if you look at rewards more awards more generally and not just at all Americans, you still see this trend where we have one person with more than 20, uh, and I believe it was 10 with less than 10 this year. Whereas again, looking at last year, we had someone with 30, we had only four people with less than 10. Um, It it just in general was a, a more heavily awarded field last year. Now, as I said at the beginning, I still think this is an exceptionally strong field Clearly, this is 16 of the top competitors in the country. There's no way around it. But when you just look at the numbers, it certainly looks slightly less awarded um, than than last year's was. Uh, I think that as a result, just looking at those numbers, you kind of have to be looking towards both Sydney and Regina. They're returners. They both have All-Americans, you know. They have experience that the rest of this field just doesn't have by having done trial by combat before. I want to believe that that's going to be uh, something that helps them. As we all remember from last year, our, our winner, Stephen Johnson, um, was a returner. He had done it the year before. And I think that there is something to be said about having a year of practice with trial by combat. So for me, I'm looking at Regina and Sydney as kind of the two uh, – if I had to say the word favorites, um, but that's really because they've done it before. Um, and again, I, I truly believe this is a, a strong field. And when you've got a group of all seniors, these are all people that have uh, 
tons of tons of mock trial experience, and I, I really think that it's going to be a lot of fun to get to see it all play out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching and, and hopefully uh, to get to see some great mock trial. Yeah, I, I think that last point is is a big one for me. It, it you know, the season ended so abruptly, um, you know, and, and we were, you know, lucky we were in that group of five orcs that happened. And so, like, you know, we at least got the satisfaction of getting a bid before the season ended. But for, for this entire field, you know, uh, the season ended so abruptly. And for our community, the season really ended uh, quickly and, and unexpectedly. And so it's just going to be fun to like get to do this again. You know, when, when we did the scrimmage this past weekend, uh, you know, I was sitting, you know, on my couch Saturday night after, you know, finishing everything up. And it was just like, I just had that post-competition feeling of like, oh, I remember this, you know, it's been a couple months, but like it, it like it was, it was fun to feel that way again and to have mock trial to pay attention to. Uh, and yeah, this is like, I think those numbers are are fair to point out. And I think, uh, if you think back to the preview episode we did last year, we pointed out that a huge number of uh, the All-Americans from last year's Nationals were in the TBC field. And at least in our division at Nationals, Sydney was the only non-senior on that list. And so not only did you have, you know, like a really heavily decorated group, but you had such a huge, huge senior class last year with all of those mm-hmm. people who were coming back. Um that like I think there was almost naturally a changing of the guard here that you right, see right. so many of these students in this field are on teams that have been represented the last couple of years. Right. But like the the big name uh, from that program has moved on, and then sort of the next big name has has stepped into that their place. So I, I think it's a wide open field. I think it's going to be just a lot of fun, and I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, and you guys will hear this when, when you know you listen to the interview with Abby that the online format is not going to limit our ability to put together uh, a great tournament. Yeah, I, I, Ben, I really agree with what you just said about this this concept of a changing of a guard. I mean, it, one of the things that people often talk about as kind of the problem with focusing too much on awards is that awards don't account for the fact that when you're on a really good team, it's that much harder to get awards. I mean, if you just you know, we want to talk about this field, if we compare it again to last year, you know, Sarah Stebbins had 30 awards through her career. And for almost that entire time, to my understanding, you know, harshest readers been competing alongside her. So trying to get your own set of awards when being compared to that is a lot harder than someone who doesn't have to compete against Sarah Stebbins for awards. I could go through the others, but the the point stands that if you have these people that have racked up awards and awards and awards through their career, that sometimes means that the other younger members of their program aren't necessarily getting them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are that much worse. It just means that they're just, they've been in a tough situation to be accumulating awards. So I, I really agree with that. And I'm glad you mentioned it, Ben. And, and I, I just want to end again by just saying that I'm, I'm so excited that we're finally getting something. You know, I mean, I think that we've all been kind of waiting. I mean, we, we kind of got disappointed to not get the, the second uh, and third week of Orcs. Obviously upset that we're not, we didn't get to watch Nationals on a national final round. And uh, I think a lot of people probably end up watching Top Gun um, just because it's, it's mock trial. We finally get to, to watch mock trial again or, or you know, be a part of it. Um, and it's, it's, it's exciting to finally get some real trials. I think that the online competition was a lot of fun, but 
it's not really the same thing. It's not actually people going head to head, people, you know, objections, all that stuff. And I am just so overwhelmingly excited for Trial by Combat. And I actually really think that for people that didn't watch Top Gun, this is going to be a great kind of example of how online tournaments can be can happen. Um, I think that a lot of teams are planning on doing online tournaments in this fall, and this is hopefully going to set a, a hopefully high and hopefully strong standard for what online tournaments can and should look like. Yeah, that, that last point is a great one. I, I We won't have announced it as of the time of recording, but by the time uh, this episode is released, I think we probably will have announced that our fall tournament, Charm City Classic, is going to be virtual. Uh, and while we've gotten some in-person invites, I'm guessing that a lot of those tournaments will end up having to do the same thing, just the nature of the world as it is. So, uh, And I saw I was watching... Uh, Empire released a video today yes. going through how they're going to cover online, you know, on their end. Um, of course, they're going like 5,000 degrees above yeah. and beyond because it's <laughs> Empire. But like, but that's, you're right. Like between Top Gun and Trial by Combat and Empire, like it will give us sort of a, a guidebook. And yeah, those are a little different, but like, you know, we all hope. And I, and I am not, I am not holding, I am not giving up hope that, you know, the 2021 AMTA season uh, can't be in person, right? I, I like, I think it's just all unknown, right? It's just so yep. much of this is unknown right now. But it would be foolish not to prepare for the possibility uh, of having to do this upcoming season pretty much virtually. Um, I know that's not the sort of the happiest sentiment, but it's it's just the reality of the world that we live in. And so hopefully this sort of, cluster of tournaments and, and uh, organizations who are doing this will sort of light the way uh, so mm -hmm. that when AMTA is starting to develop their protocols uh, for how this is going to work, that we all have a good example. No, it's so true. I, I was, it's funny that you mentioned the Empire, the Empire video. I, I watched it uh, earlier today because my high school team was planning on competing there. Um, and it, it, it was very funny to watch, but definitely, uh, as you said, they set a really high standard for what, what it's going to look like. So I, I agree with you, Ben, and I'm, I'm looking forward for all of these tournaments just to get mock, the mock trial you know, blood flowing again, you know? No, you and me both. Uh, but uh, I think that's enough of us for now. Uh, we had a great conversation with Abby Heller. Uh, Abby is the assistant director of trial advocacy at Drexel Law School. Drexel, of course, was sort of the original host of um, – Trial by Combat before it became co-hosted when Justin moved back west to UCLA. Uh, we think we're really you're really going to enjoy the conversation we had with Abby. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back for our conversation with Drexel Law's Abby Heller. Welcome back to the Mock Review. For part two of our 2020 Trial by Combat preview, we are thrilled to be joined by the Assistant Director of Trial Advocacy at the Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law, Abby Heller. Abby Heller plays a crucial role in making sure that Trial by Combat is successful, uh, and we are thrilled to get a chance to talk to her about uh, her background in mock trial, what she does at Drexel, and everything related to Trial by Combat. So Abby, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And, and we want to start out sort of the same way we start out with all of our guests. Uh, we want to go back and get your origin story. So can you tell us how did mock trial start for you and, and what's your background in mock trial? 
Sure. So I first got started in mock trial uh, when I was in high school. My uh, best friend's dad growing up was a judge, and he actually ran the mock trial program at the high school. So I got involved with her. And this would have been uh, my sophomore year of high school. So I and I'm from York, Pennsylvania. Um, so kind of a, a small town area, middle of Pennsylvania. I went to West York Area High School and I got involved in the mock trial program and I pretty much instantly loved it. And at this point I had I mean, you think of that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had always been answering that question as I want to be a lawyer when I grow up. So it really seemed like it, it fit. And it was probably the first opportunity for me to see, oh, I actually have some aptitude for this. This dream that I've had in my mind since I was a child, I actually have a skill set that I started to learn and started to realize that I was good at it. Um, so I got introduced to mock trial there, um, had some success. We went to the state level competition for high school two years um, in a row, which was a lot of fun. Never won, but still had a great time. And then when I went to college, I went to Elizabethtown College in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. And I um, started on the mock trial team there my freshman and sophomore year. Um, the program there wasn't quite as developed as I think it is now or as it is at, at a lot of colleges across the country. Um, and I came from an experience that the high school team was really, really into it. Um, so this was a little more of a lax experience, but still still enjoyable. I was still working on this skill set, enjoying mock trial, um, and had my eye on going to law school. Um, I only participated in Elizabethtown College's mock trial team for my freshman and sophomore year, and then I didn't end up participating my junior or senior year. Um, I had somewhat of a wanting to enjoy my college experience moment, <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hitting a little home there. <laughs> I went on to law school, and I am an alum of the Drexel University Klein School of Law, and that's where I got my JD. And at that point in time, I, I mean, I went to law school to be a trial attorney. I wanted to try cases. I wanted to be in front of juries, um, and I joined the mock trial team so that I could really hone that skill and be ready for my career. And I uh, participated while I was in law school. And then the year after I graduated from law school, I started coaching. And I was coaching at Klein up until I started uh, the current position that I have full time. That's interesting. And, and we know at UMBC, we know Elizabethtown well. We've been up there for, they do a small tournament every year. And we've been to it a couple of times and, and have a lot of appreciation for uh, the good folks there. Um, one thing I was curious about in terms of your background, so I, I you know, just from Looking at your page on Drexel's website, I saw that you, after you graduated, you were coaching some, but you were also a public defender for a number of years. So how do you think that that, you know, you were getting to coach while you were sort of getting that experience as a trial lawyer? And do you feel like those years of doing both at the same time sort of benefited you now that you're doing the sort of the teaching and running an advocacy program full time? Oh, absolutely. So if you become a public defender or you go on the, the other side, we'll call it the wrong side, and become a district attorney. Um, send, send your angry letters to Abby, everybody. <laughs> you are getting, we need good district attorneys too. That's we true. obviously need people who are, are good on both sides of the aisle and who are great trial attorneys on both sides. There, did I fix it? Did I make it better? <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, so if you go into either of those experiences, I mean, you will 
get in most of the offices across this country, you get trial experience pretty much day one. You go through your training and then they're like, all right, here's your caseload. Go forth and try cases, um, which is terrifying as a new, new attorney. But it's also incredibly exciting because most of the people who go into these jobs want to do that. They want to do trial work. So when I was coaching, I felt like it gave me a sense of legitimacy um, when I would go to practices because I was doing in court that day what I was teaching. Um, I mean, as a public defender, sometimes you are in court five days a week. Sometimes you're in court at minimum two or three days a week. So you are you are constantly trying cases. By the time I left the public defender's office, I had tried 106 cases. Um, so, I mean, you are getting that hands-on experience. And the more that you do this, this trial advocacy, mock trial, it is a skill that you have to practice in order to get good at it. So essentially, my, when you are trying that many cases, you are practicing and practicing and practicing. Um, and your skill set is growing. You're getting better. You're learning from your mistakes. So the experience that I had as a public defender was absolutely invaluable to coaching because it not only gave me legitimacy, but it allowed me to continue to grow as a trial lawyer. Um, I mean, I think that the practice of law is one of those things that you never, ever are perfect at. You have to continue working at it each and every day, each and every year in your career. And if you ever reach that point where you think you don't have something to learn, you're wrong because it's a it's an art of, of constantly making yourself better at this. Yeah. Well, I will say for for my part that I'm I'm hoping to go to law school soon, and and it's always really interesting just to hear the perspective of you know a public defender versus a district prosecutor. So I really just appreciate just personally getting to hear that, Abby. Um, I, I want to talk though about uh, your time at Drexel Law. So you've mm-hmm. uh, now come and you're now running the trial ad program there. Could you just kind of Back us up. How exactly did you come into that role? Sure. So I am finishing or just finished my second academic year working full time at Drexel um, as a professor and as the assistant director of trial advocacy. So I mentioned that right after I graduated, I started coaching. And in part, usually we don't bring students back the year after they graduate to coach. We say, you know, go practice a year and then come back when you have a little more experience under your belt that you can really Um, speak to real life experience as well as mock trial experience when you're coaching. Um, And I had a mentor who was my mock trial coach who brought me back to coach a little earlier than some other people. Um, So I got kind of this experience right away, right after I graduated of coaching teams. And I had some pretty big success with it, which I think is part of what led to me eventually getting the job that I did. Um, so I coached one of the big law school mock trial competitions. This would have been the second year that I was coaching at Drexel is the, um, AAJ competition. Um, and this is one of the big competitions that happens in the spring where there is a regional and national. And at this point in time, so Drexel's trial advocacy program, I, I always am kind of in awe of how much we've grown in a short period of time. The school has only been around since, um, 2006. So in a very, the law school. So in a very short amount of time, we have gained a lot of recognition because trial advocacy is important to the law school. So at this point in time, our program is kind of still a baby or toddler program in trial advocacy at Drexel. We had not won any national competitions. Um, At this point, we had had one other team once that had even qualified for a national. So we were really in the building stages of things. 
And um, I had a team and I'm proud to say it was a team of four women. So all female advocates. Uh, we went to the national, we won our regional. We went to the national competition in New Orleans and they were the first team of first team from Drexel to win a national competition and the first team of four female students to win this competition. Um, so that was kind of my first success at Drexel. And then I had two other um, big successes after that, winning, being a co- one of the coaches that was coaching our teams that won Tournament of Champions, which is another, uh, the big law school competition that happens in the fall. Um, and at that point in time, uh, Justin Bernstein was in my position. He was the assistant director of trial advocacy, and he ended up taking his job at UCLA. This position opened, and I didn't really foresee, I I mean, I always thought I'd be coaching, but I didn't foresee myself um, going into kind of the academic side full time. But the opportunity offered uh, was presented, and um, I had had some success with the mock trial team so far. So our director of trial advocacy, Gwen Stern, talked to me about, you know, did I want to leave the public defender's office? Was this something that I would be interested in? And it all worked out. And here I am. So, Abby, I got to tell you this. Uh, when the national competition for AMTA for the College World was in Philadelphia, the final round was hosted in uh, the advocacy center at Drexel Law, and I remember going and sitting in on that round and being blown away at just how amazing and beautiful it is. So I want to just like ask you, can you just take us through what all the wonderful features of the advocacy center is? It's such an amazing building, and I, I really enjoyed getting to see it uh, when I got to a chance a few years back. Sure. I think that's most people's reaction when they walk in the first time. They're kind of like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like the standard law school. Um, so I always tell people we are very lucky to have that building because I do feel that way. It, so we have two different buildings, our building that's more on Drexel's main campus, and then this trial advocacy building that's in Center City, Philadelphia. It's a freestanding building, and it is completely devoted to trial advocacy. So it, the former and the really cool thing about this building is that it, it has a great historical context in Philadelphia, too. It's the former uh, beneficial bank building. So think of like this old school uh, columns in the front. Um, You walk in and you see marble bank building with this huge four-story vaulted ceiling. And when they bought this building, our donor bought this building, Tom Klein, um, he donated it to the law school for it to be made into, renovated into a trial advocacy center. And they really took the time to keep all of the historical components of it. So, you know, you still have those gorgeous gilded ceilings and the bank vault is it a wall in one of the courtrooms. Um, so it not only has an amazing historical component to it, but it's also been renovated to serve all of our needs for a trial advocacy center. So all of the classrooms are courtrooms. So we have our trial advocacy classes here. We have our mock trial practices here. It gives us the opportunity to host wonderful events. It gives us a space to do that. Um, And I mean, it's equipped with all of the latest trial technology. And then there are also just some really wonderful reminders throughout the building of the importance of trial advocacy. So the carpet that runs throughout the building is um, a specially made carpet that has 
the clause from the Pennsylvania Constitution about the right to trial by jury um, all throughout the carpet. So there are sound panels on the wall that are the Pennsylvania Constitution. So in in the sense, it's not only this beautiful historical building, it's not only incredibly functional for teaching trial advocacy, um, it's also a wonderful reminder um, in different elements throughout the building of how important it is for people to have access to trial by jury. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's funny. I, I've now, similar to Drew, I've been to that facility a couple of times. And it's it's just every time you go there, you, I feel like I find something else that just kind of blows me away. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, it was really cool. I, I wish that that the, the AMTA final round that had happened in your courtroom, you know, they ended up selling the DVD and stuff because like people deserve to see just how beautiful it is. And I, I just... I, in, in the best possible sense of the word, I'm jealous that you get to work <laughs> in, in a facility like that uh, every day. And, and, and that's kind of a natural transition to our next question. So uh, the previous two years, uh, 2018, 2019, were the first two years of trial by combat. They were both held at, um, at the client center, at, at the advocacy center that you were just describing. Now, I know in, in 2018, Justin was kind of still in his role, but uh, 2019, you had, you know, moved into that spot when he left for UCLA. So can you take us through just your thought process on, you know, I guess the first couple years of TBC, but really, especially last year, once it became an event that was shared by Drexel and UCLA, uh, how do you feel like the competition has gone and has evolved, uh, over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think in, so in 2018, I was there, I helped judge, but Justin was really, he was still at Drexel. So he was running the show. Um, but I mean, that was the first year for it. And I think the first time that you do anything, there's lots of unknowns, right? You can have your idea in your mind of how everything's going to run. And I mean, it was wonderfully run and wonderfully received. So I think that set the back, how well received it was in 2018, really set the backdrop for going into 2019. And now we had two schools that were jointly hosting this, UCLA and Drexel, um, so we had a little more manpower and we had um, kind of the backing now of two entities instead of just Drexel. And we knew that people, that this is going to be a big deal. We knew that people wanted to do this. We knew that we were going to get a ton of applications. We knew that uh, the concept was something that people were going to watch. So we knew that we were going to have viewers who who wanted to see that live stream final round, who wanted to know who is the the top competitor in the country. Who is it? Who's the best? Uh, so I think going into 2019, we knew that how important this was to um, the world of college mock trial. And we wanted to make it just as great of an experience as it was in 2018. And, you know, pick up on the little things that can always be improved in every tournament from year to year and just make it the best experience that that we could for the competitors and for all the um, the coaches and for all of the people who were kind of watching to see what happened and how people did at the competition. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that last thing, but, and I think we'll get to the, the 2020 competition and the online format in a second. But one of the things that I think is really unique about TBC this year, in addition to everything, is that uh, there is no AMTA national championship and most national championships from mock trial around the country, unfortunately didn't get to happen this year. And in some ways, TBC is kind of like, like we decided to do, you know, a two part episode about TBC this year, because we knew that there's just not a whole lot else going on right now in, in the mock trial world. So I guess I wonder, 
I don't know the best way to phrase this, but is there any sort of added pressure given that you guys are, at least as of right now, you're kind of the only game in town in terms of people who are interested in, you know, paying attention to mock trial and getting to actually do some mock trial or watch some mock trial? I definitely think there's some added pressure. So um, we have, I think, thought about that a lot and thought about things that we can do to try and make this experience because a lot of our competitors kind of got robbed of their final season of mock trial. And um, we have gone out of our way, I think, to, in a good way, to not in a bothersome way, in a good way to think about how can we make this a special experience? How can we make it a special experience when part of the fun of mock trial is traveling and seeing everyone uh, and th- that experience looks a little bit different online. Um, but I think we have come up with some creative things for the 2020 competition um, for the case this year. And I, I hope that I know it's not going to replace the fact that um, these competitions were canceled. But I hope that it gives our competitors, our 16 who made it in, um, their moment to kind of have their last hurrah and have their, their last shot at it and know that they didn't have to end their trial lab, their mock trial career in college on kind of this um, note of just not being able to do anything and, and feeling powerless about it. So, and I hope that for the students who uh, applied and weren't selected or maybe didn't apply, but you know, their season was cut short too, that this is fun for them to kind of tune in and, and see what happens throughout this competition. Well, Abby, you kind of alluded to it, but can you take us through what are all of the different creative things that you guys have done to adapt trial by combat in this very weird and scary new world of uh, that we're living in where we can't really do things in person the way we used to? Sure. Um, so I think one thing that happened this week that we kept the same because we we wanted people to be able to have it, and it's a simple thing, but it's the T-shirt, right? You want the T-shirt... Yep. Mine came today. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we ordered these t-shirts and we shipped them out to everybody. So hopefully that was like a a fun, it's coming up, it's right around the corner um, for all of the competitors and coaches and second chairs who um, would have gotten that in the mail. We added an element of a second chair this year. So in the past years, we have never had the second chair element. And that's something that we kind of stole from Top Gun, which is the um, law school Uh, one-on-one competition that Baylor hosts. Um, And we decided, you know what, if we're going to be doing um, this competition online, there's going to be this huge technology component to it that perhaps we somewhat have during the final round of uh, trial by combat when it's in person. But it would be helpful to have somebody there to really assist with that, to be able to utilize technology in the best way that we can. Um, And this is an interesting piece of it and probably something that we're going to see, at least I hope we see, utilized even better when it comes to displaying exhibits, when we're talking about demonstratives, um, which is a change that we made. So in the past years, demonstratives not allowed. This year we said, we're online, we're we're giving you a second chair, have at it with the demonstratives. Let's let's get creative. Um, So I hope that we see... Um, some interesting uses of technology throughout this competition. And hopefully we see some ways that, you know, technology is probably going to be utilized when 
and and as we are starting to have hearings and trials that are are moving to a Zoom platform um, during this kind of new era of social distancing. So, Abby, can you take us through exactly? You know, obviously, it's going to be on Zoom, but how exactly is that going to look? What what can we really be expecting? Sure. So you can be expecting for the competitors that we are going to make this um, as realistic of a courtroom setting as possible, but via an online platform. So what that means is that we are taking all of our judges through a training and we are going to be uh, very specific and, and have somebody in each room whether um, in some rooms it will be the presiding judge or if a presiding judge isn't as comfortable with the technology, a bailiff who will be in that courtroom, um, really guiding everybody through the process. So what I mean by that is we want all the screens to look look the same, right? So right. eventually our recordings are going to be up on every round, will be recorded and will be um, on YouTube for anybody to view any round that they want. We won't be doing that during the tournament, but after the tournament, um, all of the preliminary rounds are going to be able um, to be viewed on YouTube as well as the semifinals. And we'll still do the same thing that we've always done of live streaming the final round. But um, we we want in, in the Zoom format for to have the split screen. The only people on the screen are going to be um, the, the advocate, the judge, uh, the witness. You know, we're, we're not going to just send you into a Zoom room and you're going to see um, 20 faces on the screen. <laughs> We want this to look like a trial. Um, so we're going to do what we can to um, really imitate that in the Zoom setting and set up the rules and make sure our judges are all on the same page so that we can pull that off successfully. And I think this is going to be um, a lot of fun for people to be able to watch these rounds afterwards who wouldn't have been able to travel, right? I mean, I think all of the students have a tremendous number of people who are supporting them, who are on their team, their parents, their friends. And this is going to give their parents who are living in California when it's a Philadelphia competition or living in Texas when it's in California or South Dakota or wherever they're from, um, the opportunity to you know, watch the the students compete who they care about and be really proud of them. Um, and I also think it's a great learning experience. I mean, these 16 competitors are phenomenal. They're the best of the best and, and they've earned their spot here. So I think we're also going to be putting out all of this content onto this YouTube channel that I hope there are freshmen, sophomores in, in college who, you know, might just be getting into AMTA and they can watch these and see, wow, that's what I can be. And, and that's an example of what I can learn from. Well, that's a, a great point. That one of the last things that you were talking about with the, the strength and the quality of this field and, and what that can sort of mean for the competition and the exposure you know, that other people can get from it. Uh, and I, I was curious about that specifically uh, because uh, so, you, you know, you've got 16 people like the last couple of years. And uh, if I recall correctly, there was an initial group of, I think, four names that were released before we really knew anything about this being online. Uh, and then after all of this kind of changed and everything developed in the world, I remember, I think there was a message either from you or from Justin, or probably from both of you, basically saying, hey, we're going to reopen and start filling out the field, and we're going to put more of a focus on seniors, since you know a lot of the other competitions were canceled. Uh, so can you take us through a little bit of how the selection process worked this year and whether or not it was any different uh, than the year before, sort of because of the factors we're all dealing with? 
Sure. I think our main difference was that um, Justin and I had a conversation about what the selection process should look like in the era of competitions being canceled um, and moving this competition online. And we did feel very strongly that, you know, there are our seniors who just graduated who aren't going to have another opportunity to kind of get back this experience that was robbed from them. So we want to keep the focus on inviting seniors to this competition. Um, And that's what we did. And I mean, when you are inviting um, seniors to this competition, you really are getting a field of people who have had the most experience. Um, So I, I think that by doing that, I hope that we are allowing students to kind of have that last experience of, of their final competition. And and with the selection process, uh, and, and I don't know if you like have the numbers in front of you or what, but would you say, do you think it was sort of a roughly comparable number of people who applied this year uh, as opposed to last year? Was it maybe less due to the circumstances or do you have any sense of that? Um, it, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but I can tell you it was more. Um, so I think because we are we're in the environment where it was going to be online, that alleviates the idea of travel expenses. That alleviates, um, you know, some some of those things that just might not make it an accessible competition for people. Um, and we actually had uh, a spike in applications. And I don't know I don't know what the cause and effect is there, but but that's me speculating as to what I think it may be. Or maybe we're just in year three and more people know about it now and want to apply. Right. Yeah. No, I think it could be any number of factors. And and you yourself, you have a sort of unique experience in that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you got to coach at Top Gun, which is really the first mock trial tournament to ever try this, to ever try to do uh, the online format. And I think, you know, uh, both of the, both Sonali and Regina, who we spoke to mentioned looking at all the videos on Top Gun's uh, YouTube page. I know I've watched a lot of them. I imagine pretty much all of the competitors are studying it. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown? What was it like coaching uh, an advocate at Top Gun this year with the online format? And what did you feel like you and and Justin, who also coached, learned about uh, the process that's going to help you guys as you design and run TV? I think we learned a lot because this was really the first competition to do run a competition online. And we, before going into Top Gun, you know, we kind of laid out our outline of how certain choices we thought we were going to make and how things should go. And then seeing Top Gun and seeing how different choices that they, that Baylor made played out, I think really helped us in making the choices for how we wanted um, trial by combat to run this year. Um, So we kind of got the benefit of Baylor going first so that we could learn things that they did really well, which it was a phenomenally run competition. Um, and, you know, tweak the things that we think could could be done a little bit better. Um, I will say from a coaching perspective, I mean, these competitions are always exhausting when you get the file in 24 hours. They just are. Uh, but they're a lot of fun too. And I think in the prep work leading up to uh, Top Gun this year, there were more decisions to have to make and things to practice. I mean, you can always practice for this competition by prepping the case in 24 hours. But what was different this year is that we had to specifically practice technology things. 
like you have to make decisions about, okay, are you going to stand the entire time? Are you going to sit the entire time? What, what background and all the competitors had to do this for Top Gun. Um, what background are, are you in front of a white wall? Are you in front of, um, are you in an actual courtroom? Do you have access to that? Um, so there were decisions like that, that had to be made that you don't typically have to do. Even things as simple as, okay, let's make sure we're using the right uh, language when we're moving in an exhibit, you know, right? There's no need to say, may I approach when you're sitting behind a computer. <laughs> um, so there were kind of small nuances like that of let's make sure we are tweaking the language so that this actually makes sense with what we're doing. And then there were more big picture things like what platform are we using to show exhibits? Um, you know, is it going to be seated or standing? And if you look at the Top Gun videos, I mean, you really kind of got a variety of everything across the yeah. yeah, and I thought that was so interesting. And to me, it came down to what are we trying to simulate with this competition? So are you trying to simulate a trial over Zoom, which I think in that case, you know, I haven't been on any Zoom calls where I've seen somebody stand to talk to me on Zoom. <laughs> you know, we're all seated behind our computers. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and uh, my friends who are, are doing hearings on Zoom right now, they're all doing them seated because it looked kind of odd to say, all right, now I'm going to stand up to make my argument in whatever I'm doing. <laughs> so are we treating this as if you are doing a trial via Zoom? Are you treating this as if you are doing a trial in the courtroom, um, like the people who, who were in a courtroom and kind of moving around as you would just in an empty courtroom. It just so happens that we're over a camera. Or are we doing some kind of hybrid of both? And I think those are stylistic questions that um, add to kind of the strategy decision and, and calls that you have to make in how to best present your case. And I'm not sure yet which of these are, are the right decisions or the wrong decisions. Um, I can tell you that we decided to treat Top Gun as if we were trying a case via Zoom, um, not as if we were in a courtroom trying a case, but there happened to be a camera there. Um, and I, I mean, it was there was just two. I don't think there is enough data yet to say, you know, judges prefer this versus this because we've only had one competition of this. We saw a variety of different styles and we even saw a variety of different styles in the semifinals. Yeah, and that that last thing you were just talking about is exactly what I wanted to follow up on, which is the judge aspect of all of this. Do you all have a sense, and maybe you know, I don't know if it'd be based on what Top Gun did or or what Justin did with the online thing championship that he did, you know, not too long ago, um, for what you're going to say to the judges in terms of trying to make sure, because obviously you're going to have 16 different advocates who are going to try 16 different things, uh, and in terms of kind of making sure that they that people aren't penalized if maybe they don't have access to a, you know like i can tell you for example we certainly don't have access to a courtroom and won't be in a courtroom but obviously some of the the top gun folks were so do you have an approach that you all are taking for how to try and make sure that people don't get penalized or get an unfair advantage by virtue of access to facilities sure um and this is i mean we didn't have a, a courtroom for top gun either and, and lots of people didn't um, and I think you still saw quality advocacy. So I'll start off by saying this. We have 
a phenomenal group of judges. This this was some of the best judge recruitment I think that I have ever experienced in running a mock trial competition. Because it's online, we got judges from across the country. So, you know, usually when you're recruiting judges and you're tied to a geographical location, you know, you'll send out your email blast to your entire list and you'll hope and pray that you get enough judges and you'll over recruit so that when people cancel last minute, you know, you'll still be fine. Um, this time around, we are, I mean, right now we are recruited to over 10 judges per round, which I think is amazing. And we're going to be counting those ballots. I mean, I'm sure we'll still have some people who are dropping out, um, because that always happens, but I, I think we can pretty safely guarantee eight judges per round. And we did that not by sending an email blast, but by sending kind of select invitations by saying, you know, here's our email list of people who we know are quality trial attorneys who have mock trial experience, who were great mock trial competitors themselves. So this is the most confident I have ever been about a pool of judges at a mock trial competition ever. And I think that's just by virtue of of the online format, we were able to do that. And that really excites me because there's nothing worse than going into a mock trial round And you can tell your judge has never even heard of the federal rules of evidence, let alone is going to be able to make some type of ruling that is correct on an evidentiary basis. Um, Or you get the comments at the end and you're like, were they watching the same trial I was watching? Because they weren't. So I can tell we have a quality pool of judges for this competition. And then that doesn't answer your question at all. I just wanted to talk about that. Uh, But the second part of your question about talking to judges and instructing them to, um, you know, not penalize based on where they are, the setting they are actually seeing the students in, we're definitely going to give some instruction on that. I mean, are we going to say that this is just a a blank check for students to be laying on their bed while they try a case? No, I don't expect that from any of our 16 competitors. Oh, well, I got to go back to the drawing board then. (laughs) New plan. (laughs) Uh, But we will definitely be giving instructions that um, in our mind are meant to not penalize judges aren't to penalize students because they don't have access to a courtroom versus do have access to a courtroom. At the same time, there is definitely an element of strategy here that we want to leave up to the judges. Um, You know, I think the sitting versus standing versus how far away you are from the camera If you are standing, do you see, you know, from the top of your head to your toes? Do you just see kind of the top half of your body? Those are all strategy decisions that I do think play a role in it. And, you know, everything that you do in a courtroom is advocacy. So I, our instructions are intended to not um, completely take away the fact that this, that's still a strategy decision and it's still advocacy based, but also not penalize people for being in their home during the pandemic. Well, I got to say, eight judges per round is something that I think every everyone listening, and I know for at least myself, are just wishing we could have gotten a chance to compete in. Uh, that sounds awesome and amazing. Uh, but Abby, I, I have to ask, we're, we're nearing the end, and is there anything you can tell us, maybe a little hint, a nugget of what the case is going to be about this year, just any teaser that you're allowed to give us? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And I talked to Justin earlier today and I said, what can I give them? I can't give away something big, but is there something small that I can give them without really giving them anything at all? Um, <laughs> well, <fair laughs> right? that's, that's what I'm supposed to do right now. 
So I can tell you a couple things. Um, I can tell you that this is definitely the most challenging um, trial by combat case that we've seen in the past three years. Um, and I would say not by a little bit. I say I would say it is significantly more challenging than the first two years. Um, Great. That- can you tell us? Can you tell us how <laughs> it's more challenging? Um, I would say it's more challenging in the content that is presented, and that there's just more of it. That's mm-hmm. going to be one of the challenging pieces of it. And there, this is a case that is much less straightforward than the first mm-hmm. two years. I would say the cases the first two years were were pretty straightforward cases in that. For the most part, you knew what to expect from your opponent. And I think there are different ways to go about trying this case from from both perspectives um, that are going to make it interesting. And we're very excited about that. I can also tell you um, that we have had a lot of fun writing this case and that both Justin and I play characters in the case that are featured in exhibits. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) There are several exhibits, some of which Justin... Um, is featured in that relate to an embarrassing true fact about Justin's life. Uh, so I'll just okay. leave it at that. But um, hopefully you will enjoy the case. We really have put a lot of effort into it. And I'm excited to see it play out at trial. I think it's going to be great. I think people are going to really like it. We're not going to see the return of Gary Barmo, are we? I was about to say, it's the real review. Of- <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just going to have to wait and find oh. out. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's fair. Well, Abby, that sounds really exciting. As much as, you know, I, I groaned when you said it's more complicated, but honestly, that sounds amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and I mean, you guys, you guys at Drexel and, and Justin's crew at UCLA, you do such an exceptional job with this competition. So I know the entire community is looking forward to it. Uh, and thanks for taking time to talk to us. It was really great to, you know, get to catch up and to just hear about what you guys are doing at Drexel. Um, we're all really excited to see, you know, how things are going to unfold at trial by combat. Uh, so best of luck, you know, behind the scenes as you guys sort of break new ground for college mock trial and, you know, thanks for chatting with us. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you for having me and good luck to all of the competitors. I'm excited to see what happens.